The Pulse of Providence with Steph Machado on WPRI.com. I'm Steph Machado, and welcome to Pulse of Providence. In less than two weeks, voters in Senate District 3 on the east side of Providence will head to the polls for a hotly contested Democratic primary in the special election to replace Gail Golden in the Rhode Island Senate. Golden resigned in August to join the Biden administration. Five Democrats are running, Brett Jacob, Hillary Levy-Friedman, Gina Pham, Ray Rickman, and Sam Zurier. Some are known political figures, others new on the scene. The winner of the primary will face Republican Alex Cannon in the general election. I interviewed all five primary candidates for this special edition of Pulse of Providence. You can find them all in your podcast feed. And now my interview with Providence's Director of Research and Development, Brett Jacob. Brett Jacob, Democrat running for the special election in Senate District 3. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Steph. So tell me what's the top issue facing the district right now and how would you address it? Well, I have to say that uh, District 3 voters, as we're knocking on doors, really care about the big things that are impacting our state as a whole. Uh, They know that we need bold, swift action to make strong investments in our public schools. Uh, We need bold, swift action to make sure that we have affordable housing for all Rhode Islanders. And District 3 voters deeply care about the climate crisis. This is not something that's happening tomorrow. The effects of it are with us right now, and they want to see bold, swift action there. Uh, but also, you know, there are day-to-day challenges that uh, District 3 voters, particularly around our aging infrastructure. So I say those four things are really top of mind for District 3 voters. And if you could pick one um, and just tell me how would you address it if you were a senator? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think all of, all of the priorities that I mentioned before can't happen unless we make bold action uh, to address our climate crisis. Um, you know, we see the impacts of uh, the intensity of storms. We see the impacts of rising temperatures right now. And uh, we, we are uh, you know, very thankful that we've set some targets for the state this last session, but we need to make those investments right now. We need to make investments in uh, improving the resiliency of our communities to deal with the, the, the changes that we know are, are happening in our climate, um, but we also need to make uh, really aggressive measures to in, uh, reduce our emissions. So uh, my focus, if elected, would be on making sure that the General Assembly is uh, using both the federal ARP funds that are at our disposal and sustained investments um, through, through the general budget to make sure that we're, we're addressing the climate crisis. So that was one of my questions. If you are elected, you know, you'll have some say over many millions of dollars in funds from, as you, you called it, ARP. It's the American uh, Rescue Plan Act, for yes. those who aren't familiar, um, the most recent COVID bill. So how would you propose to spend all that money? Uh, uh, first, first thing is, um, you know, I have experience bringing people together uh, during COVID uh, and addressing urgent needs of our community. Uh, In March 2020, uh, we saw so many people being laid off from their jobs as as a result of the public health crisis, and we responded immediately. Uh, I organized a food drive that fed 14,000 people across the state and two other states, and it's that level of urgency, it's that level of swift, bold action that uh, I'm looking to elevate to to the Senate. I want to take that, that bold action and end homelessness in Rhode Island. We, it is not a problem that is at the scale of cities like you know, Los Angeles, where we have tens of thousands of people. There are you know, an estimated 500 people who are currently unhoused, and we could see that number continue to rise as the pandemic unfolds, but this is a solvable problem. We can and we should make these investments to end homelessness in Rhode Island because we all, we all benefit when everyone has safe, affordable housing. You say it's a solvable problem. How do we solve it? Uh, it's making the, the investments in the ARP dollars right now. But spending it on what? Um, on, on housing, on shelters? 
Yeah, having, having experienced homelessness as a kid, I can tell you that the number one reason that someone is uh, unhoused is because they don't have housing. So we need immediate temporary supportive uh, uh, shelter for folks who are currently quite literally on the street. Uh, and we need to immediately invest in developing uh, additional housing resources that are inclusive of uh, um, you know, uh, the range of needs that folks may have in order to live stable lives. I didn't know that you had experienced homelessness as a child. Are you comfortable sharing anything about that? Sure, happy to. What, what was the situation? So um, I, was, I was 11 years old, and uh, my mom had just been arrested. Um, and uh, unfortunately, because she was not able to, um, she wasn't able to have any reentry services. There were no reentry services available for her to, to uh, um, you know, be successful uh, when she was released. And as a result, we were in, we didn't have a place to stay, <laughs> to call, call our own. We did spend uh, some time in a shelter. Uh, that, that was great, but uh, it, was, it was really quite difficult. And to me, when I think about the work that I've done around addressing food security, the uh, work that I've done around uh, public safety reform, I think there's a real opportunity at the state level to make sure that we're prioritizing investing in uh, folks who are reentering, um, particularly as we think about legalizing marijuana. Uh, any sort of legislation needs to be prioritizing uh, the, the, the reparative harm um, of, uh, excuse me, needs to be prioritizing repairing the harm of the war on drugs. It was a failed policy, and those folks who uh, were victims of that policy need to be prioritized uh, with investments in reentry services um, you know, that address the, the wide range of needs that they'll have around housing and psychological uh, help as well. Thank you for, for sharing that. Um, so you support um, legalizing marijuana for recreational use? I, I support I support any legislation that that uh, legalizes marijuana and prioritizes a reparative approach. Uh, again, the war on drugs was a failed public policy that disproportionately impacted Black residents, and uh, uh, we know that that you know prison is is harmful for folks. So any sort of legalization needs to prioritize making sure we're we're providing grants for folks to re-enter. That includes housing grants, food security grants, making sure that they're receiving the psychological care that they need because prison is hard. Uh, uh, we also need to make sure that we are prioritizing any businesses license, business licenses that are issued uh, need to be uh, to folks who have been directly impacted by the war on drugs. Um, and I think with, with that uh, focus, we'll be able to not only address the harm that was done by the war on drugs, but we'll be able to, to build uh, Rhode Island's future. Um, how do you think the state takeover of the Providence schools is going? Do you think the state should give the schools back to the city? Yeah. Uh, you know, the state takeover has um, been a failure since its inception. It wasn't clear what, what the objectives were, uh, what exactly the, the state wanted to accomplish, and there was no timeline. And in the meantime, you know, control and autonomy of schools have been taken away from communities. And uh, you know, folks have expressed that they have a lot of concern that that they have not uh, been able to weigh in on on what's happening with this takeover. I think the the best people that can make the decisions for uh, the Providence Public Schools are Providence residents, and the General Assembly can take action by making investments in what residents and teachers have been asking for forever. We need buildings that are safe and habitable and set up for student success. We need social emotional supports for students. Um, and we also need to make sure that we're investing in the lived environments of students so they show up to school ready to ready to learn. And I'll note, just for the record, that you, you work for um, Mayor Lorza, who is, is of the same opinion um, about the state takeover as it stands right now. Um, so do you think that this, the state should, should end it now? 
Uh, yes, you as, do. Soon, okay. as soon as possible. Um, and what is your opinion on the teacher's contract that was uh, recently approved after a long and contentious negotiation that got a lot less contentious at the end there? What do you think of that? Sure. Uh, look, I've, I've talked to teachers in District 3 who, uh, you know, are, are happy with, with some of the provisions, including the necessity of, of requiring, you know, lesson, lesson plans. Um, but I can say that the success of our students, especially having been a product of a public school system, uh, 13 different public school systems actually, I can tell you that the success of our students and, uh, uh, you know, the, the support for our teachers is more than just a contract. And I, I see that, that, you know, this was a missed opportunity to really champion the investments that our teachers and our students, our administrators have been asking for for a long time. What would you have liked to see in there? In? In the contract. Yeah, again, I think that, uh, that, that as I've spoken to teachers, the inclusion of, of lessons, plan, lessons plans are really great, but it's hard for me to, to uh, say that the contract would have fixed everything because we have buildings that are falling apart. We know that our English language learners uh, desperately need additional supports, and we know that um, you know, the social-emotional supports that students need and teachers you know, need to help, help uh, manage their buildings uh, are desperately needed. Tell me about one bill that you would introduce upon joining the Senate. Yeah, um, so one, one uh, thing that I've been working on for a while um, with the city is examining fine and fee reform. So this cuts across racial, economic, uh, and public safety justice. And right now, the n number one reason, the number one known reason for arrest in Providence is for uh, driving on a suspended license. And there was a really wonderful study conducted by Open Doors uh, on, you know, for the city that that uh, found that license suspension um, is mainly a result of being unable to afford court debt. And so in effect, what we're doing is trapping residents in a cycle of court debt issuance, arrest, uh, and poverty. And you know these are folks that need to use their licenses for everyday things, like dropping their kids off for school or going to the grocery store. Uh, so what I'd like to uh, really introduce at the state level is a you know, mandate for, uh, uh, you know, folks' ability to pay these fines um, to be part of, of standard practice, uh, which I know there are many, many community groups that have already worked on this, um, but also we need to just eliminate debt-based license suspension. Got it. Um, this one's a hypothetical, but mm -hmm. if you're elected, and then if you were re-elected in the regular the election... The other one was, was hypothetical, too. Next to, well, they're all, <laughs> hypothetical. they're all hypothetical, too, if you win, of course, but this one's extra hypothetical because... It would be, you know, if you win, if you win in the regular election in 22, and, and if um, the Senate president also wins his election, would uh -huh. you support him uh, to be Senate president based on his record? Sure. Uh, so we've got, we've got a long session, legislative session, between now and 2022, which is when, as you noted, the Senate, the Senate president is up for election. Um, I, uh, you know, I want to support Senate leadership that is willing to pass progressive legislation. And um, I hope that just like any other senator, that Senate leadership would want to earn my vote, and they can earn my vote by working together, by us working together to pass progressive legislation. Um, Brown University owns uh, more than a billion dollars worth of real estate, most of it on the east side. They're tax exempt, of course, as a, as a nonprofit. They do pay some voluntary um, payments to the city, of course, but much less than you know the full taxation of all this land that they own. Um, much of it that's in that's in your district. Would you do you think that Brown should be contributing more to the city or to the neighborhoods? So Brown University and and all of these large nonprofit institutions are community members just like we are. They draw on municipal and state resources just like just like the rest of us. 
and they need to be uh, contributing to the vitality of our neighborhoods, just like the rest of us. Uh, and you know, there are institutions like Brown University and others that have a history of, of displacing Providence families from their neighborhoods, and in some way, you know, contributing to the, to the wealth inequality that we see in, in some of our residents. So I think that there is uh, an opportunity for Brown University uh, to come to the table. That is, you know, of course, a, a conversation that, that Brown University and the city have to have, but I, I fully support um, additional contributions the university and others can make. Yeah, I, I think their most recent MOU expires next year, so you'd hope that they would um, be willing to contribute more. Absolutely. Um, do you think the Fane Tower should be built? Uh, <laughs> look, the Fane Tower um, uh, doesn't sound like it's, it's going to be going through, and um, you know, we have uh, urgent, urgent needs in our community. We have increasing population of folks who are experiencing homelessness. We have an increasing uh, population of folks who are experiencing food insecurity as a re result of the pandemic. And our low-income black and brown communities have not fully recovered economically. And you know, frankly, the rest of the state has, hasn't fully recovered economically uh, from this pandemic. And to prioritize luxury housing over the urgent needs that Rhode Islanders have right now isn't, isn't something that uh, I'm interested in supporting right now. But uh, you know, if we want to make inv bold investments in making sure everyone has a house, let's do it. You talk about housing, you know, building more housing being important. Um, yes, that's luxury housing, but there's an argument that if you if you build the market rent apartments, then the f folks who have a higher salary that are living in the you know triple deckers and um, will move into the luxury housing and open up more housing mm. for folks middle income. Do you buy that argument? Sure. I mean, I, I think there is definitely some some legitimacy to that argument. It sounds a lot like trickle down economics to me, and uh, I would like to see a focused, prioritized investment in people that are unhoused right now. You cannot make decisions about the well-being of your family. You cannot make decisions about how you engage in the workforce, and you can't expect to have a good education if you do not have a stable, affordable home. And we need to prioritize making those investments. Um, what do you think should happen with the Superman building? Uh, I'm excited to read the details of a proposal that uh, the governor has said is is potentially at work, and uh, I think that I, you know, I would I would absolutely support um, support uh, saving that building. I uh, also want to make sure that any state resources that are dedicated towards uh, uh, saving that building are making sure that we have good union union jobs um, on any of the construction, making sure that we're prioritizing uh, housing for those who need it most, uh, particularly those who are unhoused. Um, making sure that any jobs after that are also, uh, you know, providing folks a living wage. So we'll see the details when they come out. Um, if you're elected, would you push for the General Assembly to approve the pension obligation bond that's been proposed to shore up the city's unfunded pension liability? And if not, uh, what else would you propose? Yeah, I mean, we have to do something. The, the safety and stability of Providence's financial future is going to impact the entire state. So, uh, you know, I look forward to seeing the final, the final, uh, you know, assessment of the working group that's been going on, and and reading that before I make my decision. We have to do something. Uh, we cannot let, we cannot kick this can down the road, and uh, the the stability of Providence's financial future is imperative for the rest of the state's success. Um, I want to ask you about police. Um, do you think the police department should hire more officers or, or increase its budget to address the increase in violence in the city? Sure. Um, so let's, let's look at the facts. The facts are that 4% of all calls for service that come into the police department are part one crimes, the most serious crimes that And you're that citing the PFM report. Correct. And uh, 
And you know, those are the kinds of things that, that officers should be focusing on. In addition, last year alone, we had nationwide and local protests that called for a re-examination of the system of policing that we have in this country that we know doesn't work for everyone. Absolutely every Rhode Islander deserves to feel safe when they're walking through their neighborhoods. Uh, and I firmly believe that. But the system that we've designed does not allow everyone to feel safe. And I believe we have an opportunity to invest in alternative systems that help people feel safe. I've done this work uh, with, with the city, uh, working on standing up a behavioral health crisis response program so that folks who are experiencing mental illness or folks who are uh, maybe experiencing an overdose get a response uh, from trained professionals that can address their immediate crisis and the long-term long uh, uh, needs that, that they may have. It's those kinds of investments that we need to be making, and I think the General Assembly is poised to be in a great position to help incentivize municipalities uh, to make those kinds of investments. So do you disagree with those who say, we need to get you know, 100 more officers in, we need to do two academies, we need to get more officers in here? Is that not the right approach? Well, I mean, I would go back to what Chief, uh, Chief Clement said at the emergency city council meeting. He said himself that more officers doesn't necessarily mean less crime. And I think that, um, that we, can, we can be smart about these investments, think about what it is that we're actually asking our police officers res to respond to, and whether or not that response actually requires a badge and a gun. And my last question for you, um, look, there's five Democrats in this race who obviously share opinions on a lot of policies. What distinguishes you from your competitors? Great question. I think that it's really, uh, there are really three key things that are important for uh, this next elected official to have. One, we need to prioritize lived experience. There are so many big pressing issues that are facing all of Rhode Island, all of Rhode Island. and um, you know those issues around poverty and food insecurity and, and housing insecurity and criminal justice reform. It's time that we elect somebody that actually has the lived experience of being on the other end of a broken system. I know what that's like, and I've persevered because uh, I've had people that have believed in me. Um, but I believe our public systems need to begin um, doing that level of investment and support for folks. So lived experience is one. Uh, the second piece is you need practical experience uh, actually navigating these really complicated uh, legal, financial, political systems. I'm kind of a nerd, so I love doing that. And I've had success doing it, both uh, in working on a behavioral health crisis response program and also looking at alternatives um, to, to arresting folks for driver's license suspensions. Um, and thirdly, uh, what we really need is somebody who has, who has community ties. Uh, I've been, I'm a proud transplant Rhode Islander. I'm a proud dog dad. Um, and through the 10 years that I've been in Rhode Island, uh, I've had the opportunity to really give back, back to the community, both in testimony for bills on Smith Hill, attending city council meetings, but also in my service as Mr. Gay Rhode Island in feeding 14,000 people across three states during the COVID uh, pandemic and also focusing on economic empowerment for uh, the LGBTQ community. So lived experience, professional uh, and practical success in implementing progressive values, and also having community ties. I'm the only candidate that has all three of those. Brett Jacob, Democrat, running for Senate District 3. Thank you so much for the time. Thank you, Steph. Thank you for listening to Pulse of Providence. You can find the other primary candidate interviews in your podcast feed. Mm -hmm.